Welcome you this morning. I'm Peter Salmon. I'm our lead pastor here, if I haven't met you. And uh, I want to welcome you both here and in the, the sanctuary as we live stream this morning. And uh, want to just take a minute for us and um, pray. Uh, pray for the situation in Israel. And I've had some questions. Uh, people have kind of been, been asking me sort of, what are, what are your thoughts on what's happening there? And I uh, just want to share for a minute uh, before we get into the message today, um, a couple of clear scriptures. Romans chapter 9 and 11. If you want to take some time and you want to kind of get a, a, a grip on what should I as a Christian think about what's happening in Israel today, um, that's a good place to start. Romans chapter 9 says this, Romans chapter 9 verse for they are the Israelites, to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. And so here we see this incredible um, heritage that we have as Christians for the Israelite people, the Jewish people. And we know that uh, the modern nation of Israel, um, it doesn't encompass the, the full picture of the Jewish people. Um, but there's, there's a heritage there that we need to appreciate and we need to honor. Um, and secondly, in Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11, verse 17. And this is, there's a couple verses here that I'm going to read, but uh, just want you to hear the heart of Paul the Apostle. Because you can ask me, hey, what do you think, Pastor Peter, about what, you know, we as Christians should think about Israel? Well, hear what Paul said. Um, the Apostle Paul, he says, if some of the branches are broken off and you... Though a wild olive branch were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, do not boast that you are better than those branches. But if you do boast, you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True enough, they were broken off because of unbelief, but you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but beware. Because if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you if you remain in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off, and even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in because God has the power to graft them in again. So it's a very appropriate image that Paul's using of an olive tree and of those uh, Israelites who rejected Jesus being, being broken off from those promises, but the, the possibility that even for us as, as Gentiles, as we've been grafted in to that olive tree, um, for the possibility that, yes, Israelite people can once again um, be full participants in the, the saving and redemptive power of God. In the world, and so our our heart for them as Christians is to appreciate and to honor the 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 culture and the faith of the Jewish people, uh, but also to pray, to pray as the Apostle Paul did in Romans chapter nine, verse two. He said, "I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart." Um, he said, "I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ." For the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. And so it's his heart and his prayer that they would come to faith in Christ, the, the true Messiah. So I want to take a moment and just respond and reflect in that 
and give you a moment to pray kind of quietly where you're at um, today. God, as we come to your word and study this morning, even the, the gospel of Mark, we're, we're aware that Jesus was a Jewish man. Uh, Jesus, all of the events that we are to read about and study today happened in Israel. And um, God, we recognize that, um, that God, you... you chose this particular people, this particular nation, to bring your um, chosen Messiah, your anointed Messiah into the world. God, we are just so grateful for the salvation that's been brought to us through your plan. And so today, we just want to, with full hearts, um, hear your word and receive from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, good to be with you this morning, and uh, we can just bring the lights up a little bit in the room here. Um, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to um, Mark chapter 5, otherwise you can follow along on the screen behind me, or if you have your phone, you can kind of scroll there in a Bible app on your phone if you have one of those fancy smartphones, you know. Um, but you guys are looking great this morning, by the way. You guys all look a little, like, well-rested. Man, you guys are looking good. There are a bunch of people, like, here super early to church this morning. Um, people ask me, like, did you get that extra hour of sleep? And I was like, well, I wanted to, but my kids didn't get the memo that you get that extra hour, right? Um, so, but good to be with you this morning. And uh, somebody did tell me, by the way, somebody did tell me, uh, hey, does that mean you get an extra hour to preach this morning? And I was like, I don't know. I kind of like that idea. I don't know if anyone stick around for that extra hour, but uh, no, no, it's all good. It's all good. Don't, don't worry. It's okay. Um, well, Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be at this morning. Mark 5, and uh, we're going to start in verse 21, and I'm going to read uh, a couple dozen verses here, and then we'll, we'll break it down. We'll go back and, and, and work through understanding what we can learn from this and glean from this today. Mark 5, starting in verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him, and the large crowd was following him and pressing against him. Now a woman, suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around to the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? 
His disciples said to him, you see the crowds pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Then Jesus overheard what was said. He told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone except, uh, accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house, and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, and he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this they were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. He left there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom that has been given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. He was not able to do a miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. I think we all have had the experience of either being sick ourselves or having loved ones that are sick, whether something, you know, very serious and life-threatening or something very minor. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, lately, kind of ever since COVID, I think that uh, sickness is now kind of an easy excuse for getting out of things. Um, like if you want to call in sick to work or school, you just call in and say, ha, ah, man, I'm getting a little <coughs> cough and I'm, you know, a little under the weather. And, you know, if you, it, little Johnny has a, has a sniffle, you know, no one, no one questions it anymore. You don't need like a doctor's note, at least not that I'm aware of, to get out of work or, or school. And I just think of, you know, back in my day with my parents, to be sick, you know, my, 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 I grew up, uh, my parents were both in the Marines, right? And so growing up, you know, if you were sick, uh, you, had to, you had to prove it, if you know what I mean, right? Like, you, uh, you know, that thermometer better say like 101 or whatever the, the threshold was in our home. Uh, or, you know, doubled over in the bathroom. You had, I won't go into details there, but like you had to, there had to be some evidence here. Uh, even our doctor uh, the doctor we went to, don't you dare come into this doctor's office with just a cold, right? She will send you right back home and, you know, drink some water, get some rest. You're not sick, and uh, you're, just, you're not sick enough to come to the doctor. Now, on the other hand, I think we've all probably had the experience of being sick enough to need a doctor. Uh, there have been times for Amy and I, you know, a kid with a fever, 103, 104 degree fever, rushing to the ER, 
Um, I've talked to many in our church and prayed with many in our church who have loved ones or have had loved ones who were sick. And we all, we all know those times when we're just desperate, um, praying desperately, desperately rushing to the ER, to the doctor, seeking out healing. And and in Mark chapter 5, I think all of us can relate to this picture of this desperate father and this desperate woman. The father, Jairus, is this religious leader. He's a synagogue ruler, basically the pastor of a synagogue. And it, it probably took a lot of courage for him to come to Jesus. Because if you've noticed so far in the book of Mark, Uh, Jesus wasn't very popular among the religious leaders, and so this probably wasn't a good look for Jairus. But he loves his dying daughter, and he's desperate. He comes to Jesus, falls at his feet. Verse 23, my little daughter's dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. And so Jesus goes with him. A large crowd is pressing and following him. And so put yourself in Jairus' shoes, right? Jesus who's in high demand here, surrounded by the crowds, has agreed to come with him. There's a glimmer of hope. This legendary miracle worker is coming to his house. Maybe Jesus will get there before it's too late. And then in this crowd, though, there's someone else who's equally desperate, a woman, verse 25, suffering from bleeding for 12 years, had endured much under many doctors. She'd spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became Worse, this, this woman's sickness not only brought great discomfort and discouragement, but actually would have prevented her from worshiping at the temple because she would have been considered unclean. And she spent all her money on these doctors. Now, it's interesting in Luke's gospel account of this, so kind of the parallel uh, version of this story in, in Luke. Luke himself was a doctor. And so Luke simply writes, well, she could not be healed by anyone. Uh, Mark's not so easy on the doctors. Mark says she endured much under many doctors. And, and yeah, the likely remedies would have been bloodletting, which would be totally make zero sense, right? Or primitive forms of, of, of cauterization. And so she'd endured much. This woman is desperate. She's tried everything. Verse 27, having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. She said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. That is a bold move. This woman who's considered unclean has the audacity to come and touch this famous holy man. And she kept saying to herself, you know, if I just touch his clothes, right? If I just touch him, I'll be made well. Incredible faith and boldness. She's desperate though, right? No other place to turn. And it says, instantly her flow of blood seized. She sensed in her body she was healed of her affliction. At this point, she tries to kind of disappear, melt back into the crowd. Because remember, she's considered unclean. But Jesus senses someone touched him. He says, who touched me? And the woman finally comes forward. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. And so Jesus' response to her indicates that she had experienced now much more than uh, just temporary physical 
healing. She, she came to know here in this moment Jesus as her Savior. She, she walks away with Jesus saying, you've been saved. And she's sent away in peace. And notice what Jesus says. He says, your faith has saved you. Your faith. Jesus says this many times in the Gospels. And of course, it's not her faith that, that literally did any of the healing or the saving. It was Jesus that did that. But her faith was a necessary ingredient for her salvation, such that Jesus goes even so far as to say, your faith has saved you. Jesus didn't save her apart from her cooperation. She was, she was desperate enough to reach out in faith and touch Jesus. Now, where does this leave Jairus? Well, this interruption is bad news for Jairus, this desperate father. Verse 35, while Jesus was still sleep, uh, speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why, why bother the teacher anymore? And how devastating for Jairus. But this interruption of this woman, this delay of this unclean woman has resulted now in his daughter dying. And his friends say, you know, what's the point? Don't, don't bother Jesus anymore. But Jesus overhears this. And in verse 36, he turns to Jairus and he says, don't be afraid, only believe. Jairus had come to Jesus initially in faith that he would heal his sick daughter, and Jesus tells Jairus, keep believing with the same faith that you had that I would heal your sick 12-year-old daughter. Continue believing in that same way. So they got to Jairus' house. The news there um, had already hit hard, and people are weeping. People are wailing. It's quite a scene there, as you can imagine. But Jesus says in verse 39, he shows up. He's like, why are you making such a commotion here? Like, why are you weeping? The child, she's not dead, she's asleep. And they, they laugh at him, they laugh in his face. They all know he's, she's dead. And Jesus knows this too. But he's, he's teaching them something here. He has all the mourners leave. He goes into the room, brings together just the close family and some of his closest disciples. And Mark tells us in verse 41, he took the child by the hand, said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She's 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. They gave him, then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus said, Talitha kum, in Aramaic, uh, Talitha is like a pet name, like sweetheart, honey. Um, and then kum simply means wake up. So picture it, Jesus sitting down by the side of this girl's bed, taking her hand, and just like, just like her mother would if she was to you know, wake her up from a nap, hey, honey, get up, wake up. And again, Jesus is teaching them something here. He turns then and, and tells them, hey, don't tell anyone about this. He often does that. We've talked about that a little bit, and we'll talk about that more uh, later in the Gospel of Mark. 
But there's so much, I think, in just this one story that we can discover about Jesus, about us as people, and about what Jesus is asking of us, the questions we've been asking in this series of discovering Jesus. Here's a few things that we can learn about Jesus. First, clearly Jesus is teaching something about his power over death and disease. So when Jairus' daughter dies, his friends say to him, Jairus, you know, let's leave this teacher alone, right? Don't bother him anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. There's no point to it. Jesus, surely, you know, he can heal, but he's not going to be able to do this. He's not going to be able to raise your daughter from the dead. But Jesus just goes and effortlessly walks into the room and says, hey, honey, get up. And then, and then he says, hey, go get her something to eat. Go get her a snack. Like, just like nothing happened. And again, what's he teaching them here? Well, he's, he's teaching them that it's no more difficult for him to heal a sick 12-year-old girl than for him to raise a 12-year-old girl from the dead. And people wonder, you know, does Jesus still heal today? And, and Jesus continued uh, to heal even after he ascended to be with his father, continued to heal through the prayers of his disciples and continues to heal through the prayers of disciples today. I, I've even heard a story from someone in our church even just this morning who was telling me about just a miracle, profound miracle that God did in the life of a family member. But these healings are, are and even the healings of Jesus are temporary. Have you ever thought about that? Even Jesus' healings in Mark chapter 5, as incredible as it is to raise this 12-year-old girl from the dead, to heal this woman from this uh, bleeding disorder after 12 years, these healings don't prevent the eventual death of these two women. Like there aren't women who are 2,000 years old. There aren't two 2,000-year-old ladies walking around in Galilee right now. Every one of Jesus' miracles was temporary. And so what was their purpose? They were done to teach us something. To teach us that Jesus has power over death and disease, and the ultimate demonstration of his power is in his greatest miracle, which is to come, his resurrection, which is not a temporary resurrection. It's an eternal resurrection. And so in Mark chapter 5, Jesus is pointing to this, this greater reality that he's, he will save those who have faith in him. He will, he will save them from even death. But even when we die, that, that really it's just, it's just like sleep. On the day Jesus returns, and everyone who has lived is either raised to life or raised to judgment, it'll be as simple as you know, a parent waking up their child from an afternoon nap. And as a, as a Christian who has died, what will, what will happen, it'll be like we were sleeping and Jesus comes by our bedside, takes us by the hand and says, hey, wake up. When we awake, his face will be the first one we see. His voice will be the first voice we hear. I, I don't know if he'll turn to the angels and say, hey, get some snacks. They're hungry. Um, the snacks, I'm sure, will be amazing if that's the case. But, but all of us face death in this life. All of us face disease. All of us face 
decay. But we can have faith in Jesus who has the power to save us from death and disease. Second truth we see here about Jesus. Jesus looks with compassion on the people that we see as unclean. Jesus allowed an unclean woman to touch him. Some uh, would have uh, treated her as an outcast, a, a spiritual leper, a spiritual failure, someone who was under God's judgment. But yet he allowed her to touch him, and she, he didn't condemn her for it. In fact, when she finally kind of outed herself in the crowd, what's the first thing he says to her? He says, daughter. And notice how specific Mark is in recording both the touch, this woman who uh, touched his garment, how he touched the hand of this girl who had died. There's a point being made here, that the people that we see as spiritually unclean, judged by God, the lowest of the low, the people that you know, don't have it together, are, are, are messy, are unholy. Jesus had deep compassion. And Jesus said, come to me, put your faith in me, reach out and touch me. He took them by the hand. No one is too broken to be healed. No one is too messed up to be saved. No one is too lost to not be able to be welcomed home to their heavenly father. And I wonder if you believe that, either for yourself or people that you love. I think it's easy for, for those who have been walking with Jesus for decades and decades to forget what it's like to be so broken or so lost. Or maybe we've just got really good at hiding the brokenness. And we've stopped realizing that we too are just as desperate as we ever were. And Jesus saves those who recognize their need, recognize their brokenness, and come to him in, in a desperate faith. Second truth we see about Jesus, Jesus' delay here is not inconsistent with his love. Jesus' delay is not inconsistent with his love. We wonder, why does he delay? Many times, as we study the life of Jesus in the Gospels, he would delay, and then something bad would happen. And they would wonder, oh, Jesus, why did you delay? But yet he would come and demonstrate that, look, even though there's a temporary suffering, even though there's, there's temporary disease, temporary death. I have power over death. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said in one of these instances. But for Jairus, in that moment, in that moment as he's going through it, as this woman comes and interrupts and you know, his daughter dies, he's probably thinking, you know, if Jesus really loved me, if he really cared Surely he would have, you know, gotten there in time to heal my little girl. But Jesus knew what Jairus didn't, that the delay in the grand scheme of things, that delay wouldn't make any lasting difference. That this death was only temporary. And so, so we too, in this life, we need to understand 
even when we wonder why Jesus doesn't do things on our timeline. That doesn't mean that he won't. We, we all will experience a temporary death. But then we'll be raised to life by Jesus. Our afflictions in this life, no matter how serious, no matter how bad, they're only temporary. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.17 says that the sufferings of this life are light and momentary in comparison to the glory that we'll one day experience. Now, that's not to minimize pain. That's not to minimize suffering. That's not to say that it's not real. It simply tells us that in the midst of that pain and in the midst of that grief, Jesus has not forgotten you. The moment that you step foot into eternity, though, and you see the beauty of how God has redeemed your suffering and all of the pain of this life, it'll... It'll seem in comparison, it'll be like waking up from a bad dream. Jesus' delay is not inconsistent with his love. Fourth, Jesus both offers more and requires more than we ever imagined. Both Jesus and the woman that came to him, or both Jairus and the woman that came to him got more than they bargained for, right? Uh, Jairus comes and he's in need of healing. Uh, But what he got was a resurrection. That's that's an upgrade, right? But to get that resurrection, he had to endure pain, more pain than he thought he would. He had to have greater faith than he thought he would. This this woman, she just kind of wanted, I don't know what you call it, like a hit and run sort of situation, hit and run miracle. And she got that, but she also was called daughter by the Son of God and was welcomed into his family. And she, but in order to do that, she had to come out of hiding and profess Jesus before the crowd. And so maybe even right now, maybe this really hits close to home. Maybe you're sick right now. Maybe you have loved ones who are battling right now. You've prayed for healing. I want you to understand Jesus heals today. But don't miss the greater miracle. Don't miss the fact that while no one is ultimately saved from death in this life, you can be saved from eternal death. I know many Christians, you know, who um, are sort of, I don't know, I don't want to be overly negative, but many, many Christians who maybe kind of have an unhealthy focus on, on healings and miracles even at times, um, you know, speaking miracles into existence, um, trying to go back into their past lineage and figure out what generational curses they need to break and who sinned that this, you know, miracle isn't happening or this healing isn't happening or um, traveling kind of from conference to conference to the latest revival to get their healing or giving money to people that promise, hey, if you give generously, you'll be healed. And, you know, Jesus does do miracles today, but every miracle Jesus ever performed on this earth pointed to a greater reality because they were all temporary. Every single person Jesus healed while on earth, still that person died. 
But there's something even greater for those who put their faith in Jesus to deliver them from eternal death. Jesus offers more, but requires more than you ever imagined. Jesus offers more than just a hit-and-run miracle. He offers salvation from sin, salvation from death, new life in Jesus, eternal life with him. But he also requires more. He requires a desperate faith in Jesus, a bold faith in him, total faith in him. And that's, that's part of the answer to the question about what do we learn about us? What do we learn about us? Well, faith is required to receive the miracle of salvation. These two characters in the story, when you think about it, they're so different. Like Jairus, this leader in the community, this wealthy uh, synagogue ruler, religious leader, and then you have the woman who is considered unclean by religious leaders. Jairus, he has a name everybody knows. Notice how Jairus' name is mentioned many times in this episode. But the woman is just the woman. Everybody knows Jairus. Nobody really knows who this woman is. Her name's not even mentioned. And yet to both of them, Jesus gives healing in response to their faith. Not in response to their status, not in response to their accomplishments, not in response to their righteous religious deeds. Those things mean nothing to him. What, if you identify this morning more as that nameless woman, if you identify more as that, that unclean person who, you know, if people knew what was true in your heart or true of your life, you'd be ashamed. If you're, if you're that person who feels broken this morning, Jesus, Jesus can give wholeness and salvation. He can make you his precious son or daughter. But then on the other hand, if you kind of relate more with, with Jairus this morning, you know, you see yourself as this kind of, you know, you're a respectable person and you've done a lot of good things in your life. You know, you're maybe not the greatest person ever, but you're like in the top third of, you know, a good, decent person. If, if, if that's your mentality, um, man, you'll never know the forgiveness and salvation of Jesus because faith is admitting your desperate need for Jesus and trusting in him. And so Jesus says to the woman, he says, your faith has saved you. He says to Jairus, only believe. In the same way that you had faith in me to heal, it's that faith that will save you from death once and for all. Only believe. That's what's required. But it is required. Faith is your part in this. It's your responsibility. Now, some would respond to this emphasis on your faith. Some would say, well, that, that kind of sounds like a man-centered gospel. But Jesus had no qualms about saying your faith has saved you. And this isn't a one-off. He said it over and over in the gospels. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has healed you. 
And again, does that mean that we are somehow saving ourselves? That our faith is some sort of good deed we do to save ourselves? No. Faith is not a work we do to earn our salvation. Faith is that moment where we come to the end of our rope. And just like this woman who's tried everything, we say, I got, I got nothing, God. I'm unclean, I'm unholy, I'm unrighteous. I can't save myself. I can't forgive myself. I can't cleanse myself. I can't heal myself. I certainly can't save myself from death. And, and, and faith is saying, I can't. I need Jesus. I'm trusting in Jesus. And God, in his sovereign plan, has made it so that your faith would be a necessary condition of receiving salvation. Now, in contrast to Jesus' emphasis on the great faith of this woman and of the faith of Jairus, Jesus next goes to Nazareth. And he goes to Nazareth, and we see in contrast the disastrous consequences of unbelief. So real quickly, let's look at, look at Nazareth. Let's see what happened when Jesus goes back home. Mark 6, verse 1, he left there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things? They said, what is this wisdom that's been given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. In Nazareth, you know, they had their preconceptions of who the Messiah would be. Certainly, it's not going to be Jesus who, like, we grew up with this guy, and this is the carpenter's son. And as humans, you know, we, <laughs> we love to have our own truth, right? our, our, our own mold of who we think God should be and how he thinks should, he should operate. And when God doesn't fit that mold, we tend to, just like the Nazarenes, we tend to get offended. That God, you have to show up in this way. And if you don't, then I, I'm done with you, I'm offended. Or, or God, you can't limit my moral choices or, or, or you can't limit my sexual freedom in any way because if, if you do, then that, that just offends me. And for the people of Nazareth, instead of accepting the Messiah for who he revealed himself to be, they say, where did Jesus get, he, get these things? Who does he think he is? This is the carpenter's son. We know who he is. And Jesus says in response, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. And then verse 5. He was not able to do a miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Remember, Jesus is teaching in these sections here far more about, than about, uh, he's teaching about far more than just temporary healings. He's teaching something, revealing something about salvation from sin and death. 
that only those who accept who Jesus is and believe in him will experience the miracle of salvation and cleansing from their uncleanness and their sin and salvation from death. And for those in Nazareth, Jesus was not able to do, it says, Jesus was not able to do a miracle there other than heal a few people. <laughs> but nothing apparently that's really gonna like, make the headlines. And this, you know, this, this little verse here, verse five, I mean, it raises a lot of questions. Raises a lot of questions. Um, is Jesus somehow limited by their faith? Like, couldn't Jesus have just chose to do miracles anyway and override their lack of faith? Well, of course he could do that, but God in his sovereign plan chooses to make faith a condition of salvation. Faith doesn't twist God's arm into saving us, but a lack of faith can disqualify us from receiving the miracle of salvation. Faith, again, is our part. It's our responsibility. There's a massive contrast here between the faith of the desperate father and the desperate woman and the lack of faith of these calloused and apathetic Nazarenes. And so very simply, the question, what is Jesus asking of me? What is Jesus asking of me? Do you have a faith that reflects the faith of this woman and Jairus? Or does your faith look more like the people of Nazareth? Do you have a desperate need for Jesus to save you, to deliver you from death? Knowing that Jesus is your only hope for salvation. Now, with this story, you can't help, as you're reading through Mark, but to go back a couple chapters earlier, where Jesus makes a statement that is key for the whole book of Mark. He says in chapter 2, verse 17, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as sick 